People clap for them at 8.30. It looks really hard to me, so yeah, anyway. Good morning, and welcome to our 945 service on this, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. It's good to be together in God's house. Welcome to those of you in the room. Uh, we know from numbers many more joining us online. Uh, it's a good thing to worship together today. A lot of you are visiting with us. We're really honored that you've come, and we hope that you'll leave us some contact information so we can reach out to you this week and hopefully uh, befriend one another. Uh, get to know each other better, that would be a great, great thing. My name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It's good to be together. want to draw your attention to some of our announcements in our bulletin. There are lots of ways for you to get involved. I um, want to highlight that we have a faith ministries trip coming up in November. Um, so if it's nearing the end of the year, if you have some PTO, this is a trip you want to go on. I promise it will be restorative for your soul. Also want to bring your attention to women's retreat registration just opened. Um, I know retreats not till February, um, but you want to sign up now. Um, the retreats February 9th through 11th um, and all women of the church are invited. It will be a time that blesses your soul. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It's found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, we know that God is rich in mercy and grace, and so with that knowledge, we come together now to confess our sins before God and one another. Please join me in the prayer of confession that's in your bulletin. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
The Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to prove you, and that the fear of him may be before your eyes, that you may not sin. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Gospel reading is Matthew chapter 22, beginning with the 35th verse. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At the uh, 11 o'clock service today, it's pretty interesting, one of our uh, members who is coming is uh, celebrating today his 99th birthday. That's amazing. Uh, that reminded, that fact reminded me of uh, years ago, um, first time I ever sat with somebody on their 100th birthday. Somebody called me, Miss Sally in the church is turning 100 today. She'd like you to come visit. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool. So I go to see Miss Sally. She's just a piece of work, and she's in this rocking chair, and we're talking, and periodically she kind of leans perilously back in the rocking chair and reaches in this cabinet and pulls out this bottle of vodka. <laughs> Takes a big draw, puts it back, we talk further. She does it. Third time, she pulls it out, she, takes, she says, I am being so rude, do you want some? <laughs> I said, Miss Sally, I'm at work today. She said, you know what my favorite part of the Bible is? I said, what? She said, the commandments. She said, we'd just be a mess without the commandments. <laughs> I love that. One of the things that uh, I remember learning in seminary that surprised me and I thought was wonderful came from Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer. Uh, he was preaching a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, and he said, uh, we're mistaken if we think of sort of a, an angry, finger-wagging God. You better do these things. You better not do these things. He said, what? If we read it carefully and understand things, it, hidden inside each commandment, like tucked inside there in some way, is that there's a gospel promise, there's mercy, there's grace, hidden inside each commandment. I love that. Like, you shall have no other gods. The, the grace in there is, uh, you don't have to. These are all the other places you're going to turn thinking this will give me the fullness of life. This will be, this is the way. It may be your political ideology. It may be who knows what. God in God's mercy says, oh, yeah, I, I want to spare you that heartache and, and disappointment. Commandments say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The mercy is you, you can rest. <laughs> Not everything depends on you and your feverish activity. God's got the world well in hand. You can trust that. Commandments say, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, 
Luther pointed out uh, that what that really means is to say something unkind about your neighbor. It, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a rule uh, for the people that he taught and when he was a pastor. And the Bonhoeffer rule is don't talk about somebody who's not in the room. Uh, I have the James Howell improvement upon the Dietrich Bonhoeffer rule, which goes like this. Don't talk about anybody who's not in the room unless you are praising them. Right? And, and like God knows we'll be happier if we just do things that way. The commandments say do not covet the gospel promise hidden in there. Is, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to. If you're always comparing yourself to somebody else, that just doesn't go well for you, does it? We'll get back to that. Sometimes the Ten Commandments get politicized, and I don't really understand why, although I don't fault anybody that does it. People want them posted in public places, want big stones in city squares with the Ten Commandments on them. I don't mind that, but I wonder about the effectiveness of it. You know, somebody is really angry, and they're in their car. They're going to go murder this other person, but they, they see that stone, and it says, Thou shalt not kill. They don't think, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. And they go back home, or, or somebody's sliding off to, to commit adultery, but, but they see that, don't commit, oh, thank you, and they go back home. They go back home. Uh, I don't uh, buy that that's all that effective. Uh, often the commandments really don't, they, they become a way of, for us to judge other people. Like instead of internalizing it as a check on me and my soul, what we do is we, we, we judge other people with them. It's almost a, like God wrote, God had Moses write those commandments on stone. And, and what we do is we, we take those stone commandments and we turn them into rocks that we can throw at other people and bury other people with them. I mean, if God had known we were going to do that, I wonder if God might have thought, no, it would be a better idea to sew these commandments into a soft blanket. Then they won't throw rocks at each other. God had known. You know, there's a thing uh, that's not, actually, the two things that aren't in my sermon. I'm going to throw them in now. That may make you nervous. Like, he's not really prepared. One of them is, uh, this is kind of funny, just by the way. Uh, last night, I went to my high school reunion down in Columbia, South Carolina. I wasn't going to go. It was just a busy week, and I didn't get registered by the deadline, so I thought, I'm not going. But couple people called me in the morning or texting me, you're coming, you're coming. I was like, I don't know. But the clincher came when the head, of, the head of the event calls me and she says, James, you have got to come. I said, why have I got to come? She said, you are the only person in our class who can say the blessing over dinner. <laughs> I went and there were a lot of old people there. The other thing I'm throwing in is uh, this business about, um, you know, we, we turn the commandments into rocks to throw at somebody. Eight days from now, I'm going to have a conversation uh, that we hope you'll come to in Jubilee Hall um, with a guy named Mark Holland. He's the head of a national organization called Mainstream UMC. We're going to talk about what's going on in our denomination kind of the craziness in all of it and what it means, the general conference that comes up, what, what that's going to mean for us, for our church. And uh, one of the things that I've come to think about this, I, there are churches that are leaving our denomination, and some are pastored by friends of mine. It's just such a grievous thing. And I wish them well. I hope they are blessed. I hope they are a blessing to other people. But it, it just occurs to me over and over that these churches that are leaving, they're, they're making a category mistake. They, they believe that the church is supposed to be the moral police of the world. They want to name morals for people who aren't in their church and aren't listening to them. It's not like people outside the church are looking to the church saying, tell us right from wrong, and whatever you say, we will do. No one's doing that. No one's doing that. What people are doing who are outside the church, and especially young people, is they look at the church and they think, those are just a bunch of cold, judgmental people. I don't want to have anything to do with it. We're not going to be that kind of church. We're going to be the kind of church. I've described this to you before. It just bears repeating. At least I saw this documentary, this choral conductor. They're the heroes of the world, of course. Uh, this David Brown, he goes to Springfield, Ohio, and he tacks up signs all over the place saying, come sing with us Thursday night at 7. Well, who shows up? All kinds of people, young, old, white, black, gay, straight. And they come together and they sing, and they're enjoying singing, and then he has an opportunity for them to tell each other their stories, and, and they've just enjoyed singing together. So they tell their stories, and, and they listen, and there's some reconciliation and understanding. Like, that's what church is. Like, come sing with us, not we're going to judge 
other people. We're going to judge other people. Back to what's in my notes. It could be that uh, the worst rock throwing that we engage in is at ourselves. Uh, you may not be this kind of person, but I know a lot of them. Uh, our harshest criticism is reserved for me. Sometimes people criticize me, and I go, I, I'm so much better at doing that than you could ever be. Don't, don't, don't even try. We're so hard on ourselves, but we're turning God's Word into like a, a rock. When, when See, we sever the commandments from the author of them. The author of the commandments wasn't like this judge sitting behind a bench. The author of the commandments is the God that just delivered the people from Egypt out of bondage. The God who authored the commandments is the God who created the world with all of its beauty and made each one of us and loves each one of us and is so full of grace for all of us, unlimited mercy. I mean, it's the lover of our soul. I mean, that's the God. That's the God. We don't have to be hard on ourselves. Zora Neale Hurston uh, described this scene so beautifully. I read it to you a few years ago, but I want to repeat it. Moses lifted the freshly chiseled tablets of stone in his hands and gazed down the mountain to where Israel waited. He knew a great exultation. Now men could be free. They had something of the essence of divinity. They had the chart and compass of behavior. They need not stumble into blind alleys and injure themselves. This was bigger than Israel. It comprehended the whole world. Israel could be a haven for all forever by these sacred stones. And then I love the way she ends this. With flakes of light still clinging to his face, Moses turned to where Joshua waited for him and said, Joshua, I have laws. Israel is going to know peace and justice. <laughs> I love that. Jesus didn't come to shred the law. He came to fulfill the law. Jesus bored down underneath the commandments. He, he, for instance, the one thou shalt not kill. Uh, probably a high percentage of us in this room have never murdered anyone. Uh, but Jesus wants to do better and says, you know, if you harbor anger in your heart, and Jesus isn't saying, don't harbor anger in your heart. What Jesus knows is that anger in your heart is so corrosive to you. You know, you're, you're unhappy with, with a neighbor or somebody the way they drive or somebody for their stupid political ideology. And you, that, that anger eats you alive. And Jesus wants to say, you, I want to set you free from that in my mercy. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he picks this love God and love neighbor. So that leads me to uh, close with a little thing I've been thinking about lately around coveting. Thou shalt not covet. Thomas Merton wrote, when you accept what you have, you see that all you have received is more than enough, and you are overwhelmed. Like he calls that contentment, right? When you accept what you have, you see that all you have received is more than enough and you are overwhelmed. And that's such good wisdom, but it's sneaky, isn't it? Because what people like us can fall into is like, yeah, I've got a great home, and I've got a place at Kiowa, and I've got another place in the mountains, and I've got fine wine in my cellar. I have received more than enough. Or you fall in the trap of thinking, if I just work two or three more years and just get these six more things, then I'll have more than enough. I'll be content. <laughs> you know, it, it says fool's logic, right? Hey, what 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 we're after here is, is to be content with the more than enough that you have received, and what you've received is like the breath you just took. <laughs> the fact that somebody loved you, somebody's looked past you know, your dumbest moments. Um, you can be part of a church that has purpose and meaning. I mean, this, we've received so much. We're so uh, grateful. So the way I'm reframing this thing, when thou shalt not covet, is this. Instead of wanting what your neighbor has... You want what's good for your neighbor. Instead of wanting what your neighbor has, you want what's good for your neighbor. And we think, great, that's a great formula. I am helping my neighbor right now. He's out of the country, so I go get his mail every day without fail. That mail does not stay in his box. It was after dark last night. I got his mail. And when I get his mail, I'll put it in a nice little cute gift bag that Lisa will supply me with. And I might even throw a candy bar in there. I am being such a great neighbor. I love my neighbor. He's fabulous. But then you got Jesus sticking his nose in, and Jesus, Jesus just won't leave well enough alone, will he? Jesus asked the question, 
who is my neighbor? And it's not the guy next door whose mail that I'm getting. Jesus says your neighbor is, he tells that Samaritan story. It's the person that you really don't like, you really don't understand, never really hung around with. You think that they're just kind of a, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is your neighbor? How do you love that neighbor? Who's your neighbor and when? So I tried this week to list a few ideas of when people love their neighbor. Let me share these with you. In 2006, a man named Charles Roberts uh, entered an Amish community and opened fire on children. Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. He shot 10 children, killed five of them, and then he turned the gun on himself. The parents of those children who have been killed went to Charles Roberts, the gunman, to his parents and said, we forgive your son. People say to me, well, I couldn't do that. Love your neighbor. Diane Collard is a member of our church. She and Glenn are traveling in Europe right now. You may know that their son was uh, brutally murdered years ago. Diane, being deeply steeped uh, in the scriptures and in her faith, knew that she had to somehow come to forgive this man, but she just couldn't for the longest time. But finally, in her heart, she did forgive him, and she met him and befriended him. Ted Lasso. I've discovered, by the way, when people grade my sermons, if I mention Ted Lasso, I get a letter grade higher. <laughs> so here goes. Ted Lasso. I told you the story last week. Uh, Sam, one of the players for Richmond, has a restaurant, sort of around kind of ethnic prejudice reasons. The, the restaurant gets, gets vandalized, and, and Sam wants to give up, but his father, Ola, comes to him and says, you, you have to forgive Yet forgive. I just finished uh, Joe Posnanski's great new book on baseball. Like the greatest baseball writer in the world today, Joe Posnanski, I just discovered he lives here in Charlotte. Like, I got to go eat a hot dog with this guy. Like, he's amazing. And his latest book, he tells a lot of stories, but one is about Armando Galarraga. If you know the story, Armando Galarraga pitched for the Detroit Tigers. And he was pitching one day, and he, he, it was sort of a perfect game. And if, you, if you're not a baseball person, a perfect game is everybody gets out for the whole game. 27, up, down, no walks, no hits. And this is very rare. In 100-something years of baseball history, it's only happened like 20 times. So Galarraga has mowed down 26 of them, and the last guy's up to bat, and he hits a ground ball, and they throw, he's out at first. Everyone can see it clearly, but Jim Joyce, the umpire, says, safe. I remember watching the replay. I was enraged. The players on the field were enraged. The announcers were enraged. Everyone was enraged. Well, except for Armando Galarraga, who was standing on the mound, smiling, waiting for the ball to pitch to the next guy. The game ended. Uh, James, Jim Joyce went and uh, looked at the replay and saw that he totally missed it. And this is before you could overturn calls for replays. He called the baseball commissioner. Could we overturn it? No. He was just in tears. Somebody came to the other dugout and told Armando that uh, Jim Joyce, he's, he's so upset about this. And Armando said, gosh, I need to go talk to him. I don't want him to be upset. And he said, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. He went and talked to Joyce. The next day they came out for the game. Armando came out, put his arm around Joyce. Somebody interviewed him and said, like, why weren't you mad at this guy? And he said, I couldn't be angry because if I was angry, I wouldn't be happy. If I was angry, I wouldn't be happy. Uh, neighbors. One of the gifts of being in the church is your neighbor isn't just the person next door that you get the mail for or, or whatever. We, we have neighbors, it's so interesting, in other places. You watch the news and the world is just a train wreck all the time. Israel, I awakened yesterday to the horrible news of what's going on in Israel, Palestine, Gaza. Oh, such a, so heartbreaking. We have friends there. You do through me and others of us. Uh, one of you knows a, a kid that was a, a, in your home uh, as, a, as a, a visiting student for a while, hearing from her, just panicked, terrified, 
We have friends. And the thing is, there's so many places in the world we ought to do something, but we can't do them all. But we're doing something one place in the world. We're going to ask you for money this coming week. If you followed this story, uh, we've worked for many, many years with Armenians who live in a region called Nagorno-Karabakh. The uh, Azerbaijanis have just violently taken over this area that's full of Armenians, and they're expelling all of them from the country. So 100-something Armenians are having to leave their homes, their, the land they've known their whole life. So we're taking up money to help them, one of the ways we love our neighbor. A couple more, I'll be done. This week I made a reconnection with a kid that I met when he was like nine or 10 years old. When I lived up in Davidson, he was, uh, he just had come to our town. His mother, he lived down in South Carolina. His mother just died from a drug overdose. He was a mess. He's one of those kids you just kind of write off as that. It's just no hope for him. Came to live with his grandmother. She couldn't quite handle it. So our church at this time had formed hope teams, kind of to walk people through tough times of life, a divorce, unemployment, whatever. We'd never done anything with a kid, but one team said, I thought I think we could take on a kid. <laughs> So they did. They started walking with Jarmel through his life, and they made it with him all the way through high school, and they've stayed in touch with him to this day. That was 30 years ago. And uh, Jarmel, he was a good ball player, and uh, he went to Fayetteville State, and he played ball there and did well, and they asked him to stay on to be a coach, and he's done that. And then uh, recently, he earned his Ph.D. in higher education. Love your neighbor. Does it always turn out that way? Well, no, but isn't it worth trying 10 times for it to turn out that way once? I mean, goodness gracious. Jarmel was pretty cool. They interviewed him about his great accomplishments. He said, I didn't do it for myself. He said, I did it for my town. I did it for my church. <laughs> I love him. Built houses this week out of Plato Price Place, Jimmy Carter Build Week. What a wonderful beehive of activity, houses going up. It's absolutely fabulous. We, we're, there are new neighbors there. We don't know yet, but we will. They are our neighbors. We love our neighbors. Then the last thing I stuck in my sermon is totally different, but not really. Not really. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And the implication is that there's some power in that for you when it's hard to love your neighbor. And sometimes the neighbor that's hard to love is that person who's right in the bed next to you. I've just heard so many stories lately about fractured, painful relationships. Love your neighbor. God gives us power. Friends, uh, the commandments uh, are good, hidden inside them gospel promises, so much love and mercy, so you don't have to stumble into false ways <laughs> so that we can be free to love God and to love our neighbor. Let us go to God in prayer. God of freedom, we praise and adore you as we are gathered here right now and all days, celebrating that you are always with us, that you are always reminding us that we are enough, that you journey with us through our Egypts where you have freed us and have given us new hope, new joy, and new perspective. Lord, in your mercy, patient and enduring God, we are in constant need of your mercy and grace. Forgive us when we become legalistic to the ways of this world rather than persistent in our approach to seek the welfare and welcome of all people. Forgive us when we love the law of the land more than the law of your heart and love the way that you have called us to love. Cleanse us now of our prejudices, limitations, and constraints that hinder us from seeking the well-being for all of our neighbors. Lord, in your mercy. Loving Spirit, guide us, form us, 
work within and through us as we strive to love our neighbor well. Shatter the hardened portions of our hearts so that we may truly give thanks, and abundantly so through the ways in which we engage with one another and the ways in which we show up for your work every day and not of our own. Remind us through your persistent nudging that we have more than enough and that our lives are to generously and fruitfully live for your kingdom's sake. Lord, in your mercy. Generous God, when we see as you see and hear as you hear, we are more able to come alongside those who are hurting, struggling, and mourning. This morning we collectively grieve for the violence in Israel and Palestine and the Gaza Strip, for the violence and displacement in Armenia, for the violence and the harm being done in our own community here in Charlotte. We ache with those who ache from hunger pains and oppressive restraints. We mourn for the ways also in which the church has harmed and hindered rather than welcomed and fought for marginalized communities. God, forgive us in these places. May we continue to seek out how we might wrap our arms around our neighbors well. Lord, in your mercy. Healing God, we know that there are many in our midst that are mourning and grieving this day. Especially we pray for the family of Patrick Reams and Jeffrey Schott as they mourn their earthly loss. May they know your presence with them. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, we offer these prayers and the ones heavy on our hearts in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray as a family, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Friends, as the ushers come, I want to say thank you uh, for things I heard last night. Uh, at my high school reunion, I was surprised and delighted uh, of the number of people who came up to me and hugged me and said, we watch your church every Sunday. We watch your Bible studies every Sunday. I shouldn't have been surprised because I hear this all the time. People from Mississippi, Minnesota, Canada, Great Britain, all over. Uh, we have a huge following. Our church matters to other people. Your offering dollars make that happen. To those of you who are watching online, your offering dollars, too, uh, make this happen. Uh, let's be generous and support the great work of God's church through this church.
Generous God, what a joy it is to give our gifts to your work, to your kingdom's advancement, for generational transformation as we journey together to be the best neighbors that we can through Jesus' love. Amen. of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore. 